So I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead, and when it first came out, it got me thinking a lot about how bikes can be used in a disaster situation. So while COVID-19 is not exactly uh, the zombie apocalypse, looking at the news or the bare shelves at the supermarket, it can sometimes feel like that. So in this video, I thought I would reach out to my friend Joe Partridge, who is not only a pretty well-accomplished gravel endurance racer, he also happens to be an emergency manager. He's the guy that helps organize communities and municipalities around an emergency response. So in this video, we talk a little bit about disasters and how bikes can fit in and what is his disaster bike of choice. So let's see what he has to say. So welcome to the show, Joe Partridge. Thanks, thanks for having me. I'd like to kind of just set some vocabulary straight if we if we could. I, I know it's kind of complicated, but in like what defines an emergency from like just basically a small bad event to something that starts to trigger uh, the, the kind of work that you do? There's no one thing that's a disaster. And the line that separates the day-to-day -day, uh, emergency that for which you might call 911 and uh, a larger community-wide or regional disaster for which an emergency operations center or an emergency manager might get involved, um, it varies. It varies from community, from community to community. So generally, though, a disaster that would involve an emergency manager is something that's bigger than any one um, office or department within a, a city or a town could manage on its own. Okay. So if it involves both the police and the fire department and public health and EMS, well, now someone's going to want to be coordinating that. And that's where emergency managers come in. Is there like a scale of emergencies like in movies like DEFCON 5 or, or something? Yeah, again, that, that's something that's pretty uh, uh, jurisdictionally specific. Um, a lot of communities use a, a scale of one to four. Um, but when we think uh, nationally, like there's either no disaster or there's a disaster somewhere, or <laughs> post-Hurricane Katrina, there is this idea of like a, a catastrophic event. So something so big, um, it's going to tax us at a national level. Um, so bigger than any state, even a really well-resourced state like California or Texas, bigger than they could handle, and really bigger than um, the federal government can handle while continuing to do all the other stuff that it that it typically does so mm -hmm. yeah so typically when i think emergencies or disas disasters it's like earthquakes uh you know big wildfires tsunamis uh how about uh what's going on now is this do you guys have contingency plans for this or is this would this be considered a, an emergency or disaster oh this is definitely a disaster um uh, te technically it's a disaster in the sense that there's been uh, numerous state and local disaster declarations, mm -hmm. uh, as well as like three, I think it's three different federal um, disaster declarations, uh, which all have slightly different meanings depending on the, the legislation that was used to, or the statute that was used to, to make that declaration. But this is absolutely uh, qualifies as a disaster. I think very likely it will qualify as a catastrophic event um, because it's something that's big enough that no state's going to be able to handle it alone. Uh, and, and even the federal government's really going to struggle, I think, to, to manage the fallout. So um, you bet this is a disaster. For people that don't know what 
uh, someone that has your job position does, like what are kind of your tasks when, when things like this happen? Interestingly enough, most of my work happens before a bad thing happens. Right. Uh, so uh, it's working with whatever, uh, whatever organization the, the emergency manager happens to find themselves, uh, working with all the different stakeholders within that organization to make sure that folks understand the threats and risks that they face, um, that they create a set of plans and procedures that they can put in place quickly in the event that one of these events occurs. Uh, and then like that last bit is during uh, 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 the response to and the recovery from a disaster, emergency managers guide the, the community using those plans that were put together. So day to day, it's a lot of, there's a pile of paper over here on my desk <laughs> and I, I move it over to this side of my desk. Um, but this is the, this is the time when things are a little bit more exciting. So, I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough to have a really high-functioning team of of professional emergency managers that work for me now. Uh, so uh, we have a nice community of practice, and we have the opportunity to kind of uh, like I can work from home today, which is very rare in uh, in an emergency manager's career during an event like this. Um, but I've got a I've got a good team um, uh, that's working right now on the management of this. Uh, of this disaster in, in on behalf of our organization so mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it works <laughs> so it's not exciting until it is all of a sudden <laughs> that, that's that's exactly right and even even you know i guess my job or how i how i view my role really at this point in my career is i want it to be uh as unexciting as possible uh you know i i i want us to have thought through it enough and talked about it enough and the, the way we conduct our operations inspires confidence um, on behalf of the people that we work for. So that, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but it's not, we're not adding to that. Right. We're, our job is to smoothly move uh, from one state to the next, get the work done, solve the problems and get us back to normal or better than normal as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. So for um, emergency managers in general, is there kind of like just a boilerplate, um, kind of game plan for, for stuff like pandemic? I well, the, the short answer is no. Um, and really, we... Uh, hmm. Pandemic is a funny one because it straddles the border between uh, traditional emergency management and public health and epidemiology. And it, it's... Uh, you know, I can't say that work hasn't been done, both at sort of the state and community level Mm -hmm. really started during SARS and H1N1 um, and reaching back even as far uh, as far as the anthrax attacks post September 11th. Mm -hmm. um, so the you know building uh, connections between public health, um, county and state level epidemiology offices and local and state emergency managers, it's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. but it's but it's really, really hard work uh, and the, it's probably one of the areas where, in general, I would say both emergency managers and public health practitioners are most stressed um, because that huge overlap, um, number one. Number two, it's really hard to test um, plans for this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It doesn't happen because, that often. It seems like fires or earthquake happens a lot more frequently. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, the, so many of the actions are dependent on a huge number of people doing something or not doing something that you ask them to do. Mm -hmm. So you spend a lot of time kind of 
guessing what's going to happen rather than being able to point to specific things and, and draw from that as you move forward. And so, yeah, it's a, this is a really tricky one. There's been some good work done, uh, but, but absolutely um, it's, it's an area where we'll, we'll keep getting better. Hopefully this is one that we can get a hold of uh, and use as a case study moving forward. Right. Um, but you know, it's hard to say right now because we're deep in it. All right. So let's step back for a second and just think, talk about general uh, dis disaster preparedness and uh, specifically uh, how a bicycle can fit in. So what are kind of your, your thoughts on having a bike as part of your, your toolkit as an individual or even as a municipality to be prepared for, for disaster and emergencies? I think something that I've learned uh, in the 20 plus years that I've been doing emergency management is that there's no one answer that's going to fit every person and fit every community and fit every disaster. So mm -hmm. the first thing to do is think about what are the things that I'm concerned about. If I'm an individual and I want to be better prepared. Uh, what are the things I worry about? So uh, a as you start thinking through that, there are two choices that present themselves in almost every disaster. Do I hang out and stay where I am and try to get through it? Um, or do I try to get out of here and get someplace where the disaster isn't? And a bicycle can have a role in either of those two scenarios, right? Um, if, you're, if you're fit and mobile and the disaster that you're concerned about is such that you can reasonably get out of its way, mm -hmm. uh, bicycle can be super helpful. And we've seen when there have been mass evacuations uh, in, re in response to things like hurricanes, uh, and that's really the, the one that comes to mind most frequently, mm -hmm. um, bicycles get used. People will, will ride past a really long uh, line of traffic to get where they're going. Of course, as an emergency manager that helps whole communities prepare, I know that's not an option for everybody. Um, something that's been kind of exciting uh, in the recent years is the growth and development of e-bikes. So I think it opens up options for folks that otherwise wouldn't be able to reasonably get out of the range of the disasters they face. Mm -hmm. uh, but absolutely something I think that's uh, becoming uh, more and more prevalent. Second, if you decide to stay, depending on the nature of that disaster, it might be something that, dis that blocks roads, disrupts fuel supplies. Mm -hmm. um, it gives you options for human powered transportation that extend the range that you would have if you were walking. Uh, and almost always having that in your back pocket uh, is going to help you get to where the supplies are being distributed, check on friends and neighbors, uh, continue to maintain your social networks, which is one of the key indicators of successfully surviving a disaster. Mm -hmm. Do you have friends? Can you help them? Can they help you? Uh, can you share what you've got? Those are the folks that, and families and communities that survive and thrive through a disaster. Not a bicycle-related question, but is is there an aspect that you deal with in terms of managing hysteria? Yes. So um, getting uh, concise, accurate, actionable information into people's hands is a key job of emergency managers. So typically on our team, we have somebody who's specifically trained to deal with public information. We call them the public information officer. Uh, and they've got a little group that works with them, and their job is to um, make sure that anything that you need to communicate out to the public is, uh, is um, approved. Um, they get the information out quickly. They help gather and answer rumors. So rumor control is a big piece of the disaster. 
Um, but what I think is in my role as not just an emergency manager, but an incident manager, so someone who's directly managing the response to a disaster, um, I feel that timely, accurate information reduces people's stress. So one of the first things that I do is set up, here's a schedule. I'm going to do a press briefing or release information at noon, at 4 o'clock, and at 8 p.m. And you can rely on me to be there at those times telling you everything I know. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm never going to lie to you. Yeah. If I'm talking to the public, I'm going to tell you everything I know. And if there's something that, due to the nature of this incident, it's sensitive or it uh, would complicate the response, I'll tell you that. Like, hey, I know the answer to this question. I can't share that information today. As soon as I can, I'll make it available to you in as complete a fashion as I can. Where we see communities and emergency managers get into trouble is when they resist sharing that information because the nature of this work is that sometimes we make mistakes. And it's hard generally, I think, for people to own up to that. For emergency managers, it's extremely hard mm-hmm. because we, we pride ourselves on doing it right and doing it the first time. Um, and that doesn't always happen. Disasters are messy. They're complicated. Um, but what I've found to be absolutely true is being completely above board and honest uh, when, you, when you're talking to the public because your credibility, it doesn't start great and mm-hmm. it will rapidly disappear if, you're, if you don't do a good job of truth-telling. And many disasters, pandemics in particular, rely on uh, citizens believing and acting in a the believing information that's coming from the government and acting in a way that's consistent with those recommendations, Lie, lying means you're absolutely going to fail and make things worse. So I, when I think about hysteria and managing it, it's being truthful, being honest, and then relying on people's good faith and good judgment to, to do the right thing. And generally they do. All right. All right. Let's go back to bikes. Um, have there been any, can you think anecdotally of any instances where, um, you know, bikes provided like a key role in, in the disaster? Yeah. I think when you think of key role, that's a little, that might be tricky, but there's absolutely, uh, cases where, uh, folks use bikes to evacuate. Um, that's kind of the key thing that we think about and, uh, hurricane Katrina, hurricane Rita, there was, you know, documentation of folks using bikes to to get to get out. Also, uh, during Fukushima, so the the earthquake and and uh, nuclear plant problem in Japan, mm-hmm. there was documented evidence of folks using bikes in a in an evacuation capacity. Also, in large scale disasters, thinking again of uh, Hurricane Katrina, there was documentation of folks that stayed behind in the community using bikes to move around when a lot of the transportation infrastructure was was no longer uh, effectively able to support automobile transportation. So those are the ones that get documented or that I've seen good documentation on. I think that there's a lot of anecdotal evidence about what bikes can, uh, what, what bikes have done and what they can do uh, for both of those scenarios, staying and leaving. Uh, and it's harder to find the hard evidence, um, but based on the what I have seen and the folks that I've talked to, I'm very confident that it happens. 
And when and these are in places like if you think about Hurricane Katrina, that's not huge bicycling culture territory, right? Uh, so in the uh, in the event that a large scale disaster happens in a place with a more well developed cycling culture, mm-hmm. um, I think you'll see it. I think you'll see it even more. And as uh, another sort of thing that's been interesting in the past few years is an increase in people willing to adopt bicycles because they're interested in climate change or they're interested in something else. So that that human infrastructure to support cycling um, in disaster just gets bigger all the time. So um, I think it's something that's growing um, at the individual level for sure. Do you know of any instances where um, bicycles were kind of codified into an emergency plan? You know, don't I wish like that that that's really something that I and a few others in the field have been uh, have been actively encouraging um, and not just in a not just necessarily in a post disaster environment but there's so many uh, opportunities for communities to use active transportation in the stuff that they do every day so a couple examples like one example in two different locations right so I live in Portland Oregon and there's a great uh, pedestrian walkway um, that, that runs through uh, the east side of downtown. Uh, no cars allowed. Bikes, people walk, people uh, skateboard. Um, but periodically when you're out there, you'll see a pickup truck parked there. Uh, <laughs> city of Portland pickup truck because that's how they pick up the trash or that's how they do maintenance. And it occurs to me that is an absolutely excellent job for a cargo bike. It's good for the city because it reduces their carbon footprint. It's good for the person who's operating that vehicle that gets them a chance to get some exercise, be out in the fresh air. And it's good for the community because it supports the use of active transportation. It removes the vehicle from this otherwise vehicle-free space. I had almost identical experience in Little Rock, Arkansas. So another place that surprisingly, particularly North Little Rock, has some really good cycling infrastructure. And I was out there on a ride with some friends and we came around a relatively tight corner and there's a city of North Little Rock pickup truck in the middle of the, of the bike path. Another, you know, and great opportunity there to, uh, you know, that, to use active transportation, use a cargo bike. Um, neither of these communities uh, have, have adopted uh, a cargo bike or active transportation in those settings. And so it makes it harder then to say, put together this stockpile of bikes and things that you'll pull out and use during a disaster. I mean, to me, it makes more sense to work from the angle of let's try to figure out how that fits into your day-to-day work. And then once it's in your toolbox, your emergency manager or someone else is going to logically reach for that when, when they have a need. So, you know, it's, I, I think that there's a, just a golden opportunity there, um, but it's not one that I've seen really being taken advantage of just yet. Talk a little bit about your cycling. So you've uh, done a lot of uh, endurance gravel events uh, like Trans Iowa. Is there anything that you, you learn from doing and training in those events that you bring into emergency management or vice versa? Hmm. hmm. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit of, of going both ways, right? So a, a key element to succeed in a race like Trans-Iowa or Dirty Kanza is you got to be prepared. Um, and that means thinking ahead, planning, what are the risks that you might face and to what length will you go to prepare for those risks? So um, on the one hand, it's like, I'd like to bring a trailer full of stuff when I go on this ride. 
but ultimately that that's not going to get it done. You need to be able to travel light. Um, so I think from an emergency management background, I was, it helped me to prepare for those events. What I brought from those events into my professional life is, uh, number one, understanding the, the capacity of a bicycle to, pre- to perform work. Um, you can really, you can do more than you think. You can do more than most people think in terms of covering distance and, and also moving supplies and doing other things if you've got a bicycle to amplify the work that you can already do. Um, and then, you know, for me personally, those events are really challenging. Uh, they tax you physically and probably more so mentally. Uh, and bringing that to a complicated, hard disaster, it's almost like when you get to a problem spot, it's, well, I'm at the bottom of this hill or, you know, I'm, I'm at 50 miles to go. <laughs> I, I, I can get there. I just got to stay focused, keep moving. Um, yeah, so there's definitely been some some uh, positive things coming uh, from from each to the other. I want to hear your personal take on this. We've slowly been hearing of, um, you know, places like Italy and Spain putting like a ban on recreational cycling just you know, to mitigate risks, um, you know, to prevent people like from getting in a car accident or something and then overstressing the hospital. Do you have an opinion on that? If someone, you know, is confronting the day-to-day and thinking, should I bike or should I not? Absolutely, 100%. If the local, if your local government says don't bike, don't bike. Um, they, they're, even though they can be flawed, uh, they, they know more than you do. And if they're telling you that it's going to be in your best interest to abstain from this for some period of time, absolutely 100% do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you called out some really good reasons. You know, the uh, a key factor in this particular disaster is it fills up emergency rooms and intensive care units. And h- however unlikely it is that you would be in an accident, you don't want to be taking the bed away from somebody who who was sick through no fault of their own mm-hmm. uh, because you decided to you decided to recreate i mean i think it might be different i might feel differently if you're cycling because you are a uh you perform a critical function for a critical organization in your org and you get there by bike mm-hmm. that's different it will and i think different communities are going to issue those statements differently but if it's recreational cycling just take a break and man, nobody likes to cycle more than me. Um, <laughs> but you, you've got to do the right thing. And and listening to the local government when the, when they come out with those statements, they're doing it for a reason. Um, argue about it later. Get involved so that maybe the choice, or the maybe the maybe you think it's not a good reason, and you you have that conversation when the disaster is over. So maybe it doesn't happen next time. But in the meantime absolutely comply with the things that your local government is asking you to do. So a couple more questions. Uh, what, let's say, post-apocalypse or during the apocalypse, what's going to be your, your personal bike of choice? Well, I think that's part of the trick, right? It's like, what are the what are the parameters of this disaster? Um, where am I going? What am I doing? Am I running away from something? Do I just need to get from point A to point B to point C on my daily rounds? I think it makes a big difference. Now I'm lucky. I've got a basement full of bikes, so I'll just pick whichever one is ready to go, you know, so it's right for the tool for the job. Um, but when I think about a disaster bike, I think about a bike that's going to be easy to maintain, easy to fix, um, maybe parts availability are, 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 is something that I'm going to be interested in. 
And then for me personally, I think like having a, a multi-terrain uh, capability. And the one that is most likely to be a disaster bike is probably my Surly Long Haul Trucker. Um, it's set up with a super reliable nine-speed um, group, uh, canty brakes. Um, you can run anything from a skinny little road tire to, you know, a two-plus-inch mountain bike tire. Um, made of steel, you can weld it, you can beat on it, a um, bunch of racks and mounts and carry a bunch of stuff on it. Um, super durable. Eh, you know, so that's, I think, go-to number one. Uh, I think super moving fast, unknown terrain, uh, you know, like a 29 plus or a fat bike. Yeah. Cause you gotta, gotta be able to go wherever you can go. <laughs> um, probably looks better cinematically uh, for the, for the cool shots when you're running away from the zombies. But, right. <laughs> uh, but, but the, but the real thing is you got to think about what's the disaster you think you're going to be in. And, and it really changes what bike you, what bike you bring. Plus what can you do? Are you a mechanic? Um, how much can you fix? How comfortable are you bleeding hydraulic brakes? If you don't, then probably you want to go in a different direction. Um, but fun to think about. So last question, do you have any other like words of advice that we should keep in times of crisis such as now to remain calm? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the key thing to do right now to remain calm um, is to do the basic things that the Centers for Disease Control are asking people to do. Um, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. <laughs> Um, social, social distancing. So if you don't have to be out uh, around other people, don't be out around other people. Um, and if you, if you do have to, don't hesitate to cross the street. I mean, so we're talking about being a minimum of three to six feet away from other folks. Um, if you need to go to the store, go early or go late. Um, avoid crowds. Um, I would avoid crowds pretty much at this point really at all costs. So me personally, not going to the bar, not going to the restaurant. Uh, I, I would not travel by air right now if I didn't have to. Um, and, I, and I don't have to, fortunately. Um, so just listening to, to those CDC recommendations, they're, in my opinion, most of those for most people are not that hard. Like you can do them. And if you're doing, if, if you're doing those things, your chance of being exposed are much, much lower. And, more, and probably more importantly, the key to all of this is not that you don't get sick. It's that we all don't get sick at the same time. Mm -hmm. that, that's really what overwhelms the healthcare system because many, 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 many people can get sick. Um, most of us are going to be fine. A few of us are going to need extra help. And if we can stretch that out, stretch out the, the interval between people needing that really extra intensive care that you can only get in an ICU unit, mm -hmm. then, we all, then we all do better. Mm -hmm. And those, those really simple, basic things that the CDC is asking us to do, that helps us get there. Um, so it sucks. It doesn't feel good. It feels, I mean, speaking for myself, it feels like un-American to have somebody tell you, like, you cannot do these things or you shouldn't. Uh, but the reality is this is new for us. Uh, we've not really dealt with something like this in anyone's, I won't say in living memory, but it's been a long time 
since we've had to deal with, with issues like this. And it's a very different world than it used to be. We have different expectations, but pay attention to CDC. That's going to go a long way. Your local community is issuing information, local public health, um, local emergency management office. They're, they're trying to tell you how to stay safe. I'd listen to them right. and, and give that, give that advice, um, really take it to heart and, and we're all going to do better. It's kind of like toilet paper. There's plenty for everybody as long as it, everybody doesn't go and buy it all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'll be honest, that, that really baffles me. Like, I don't quite get, is it that people just think they're going to be stuck in their house for two weeks and they don't want to run a toilet paper? I'd... Be creative, man. You can, you can figure this out. You don't, you don't necessarily need that. Uh, well, thank you, Joe, so much for uh, your words of wisdom and talking to us about bikes in uh, disaster situations. Um, everyone out there, keep safe, wash your hands, uh, practice fun and safe social distancing. And if you like this content, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and keep the self-aside down.